that the world can come up with. That is uh, the fact that God has not made a mistake in your life. And uh, if you feel like he has, I wish um, one day in eternity, I wish you could do it before eternity, if you could sit down with Joseph, Joseph would have easily wanted to say, God made a lot of mistakes on me, but everything that God allowed to happen in his life, uh, God allowed it to happen because God had a big, masterful plan, and the end of it included um, Joseph being extremely blessed. And I'm not saying that, uh, that this will be your way into wealth and money, but I'm just saying uh, Joseph was very thankful at the end of his life for all that God did. And uh, that's a uh, very empowering truth. Thank you guys um, for singing that song. All right, well, get your Bibles down if you would. Let's go to the book of Galatians and chapter number 2. Galatians and chapter number 2 is where we'll go. How many of you are glad the sun is shining? <laughs> yes. How many of you function much better when the sun is shining? How many of you uh, say that? How many of you say, I love rain? I love rain. That's weird. Okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, but uh, glad you uh, love rain. How many of you love snow? You're just... How many of you are dying for tomorrow because they say that snow is coming tonight, tomorrow morning? Okay, all right, that's good. Um, yeah, look at, I'm looking forward to it now because it better snow because uh, I've kept telling my son, oh, we're going to, oh, months ago, oh, it's going to snow. We're going to go up to snow. We're going to go to snow camp. We're going to go to Maranatha. We're going to go, we're going to see snow. And um, y'all don't have any snow. I don't know what's wrong with you, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, so hopefully I can actually keep my promise to him tomorrow that there will actually be snow. Uh, we came out of church on Sunday and he saw this, uh, you know, one of those dirty piles kind of up against the building where it's always shade. And he's like, snow, and he runs up the side and goes stand on that. And like, wow, that's sad, kid. That's really sad <laughs> that that is where we have to stoop to. And we're in Wisconsin, you know, of all places, you know. But um, anyway, um, so uh, I hope you are, listen, um, one of the things that we've done with this week, of course, um, so I'm here in chapel today going to be in chapel tomorrow. Um, but tonight, uh, we don't have any organized service here at uh, Maranatha with me speaking in that, because where you need to be is in a local church here tonight, as far as I know, unless there's something I don't know. But, um, uh, but listen, can I just encourage you with this? Let me tell you something. Um, so, you know, I, um, I spent some of my growing up here, grew up some in Pennsylvania, grew up some in Wisconsin, and spent, really spent my teen years here in Wisconsin in Beaver Dam, about 30 minutes away. Uh, from from Watertown, and can I tell you what one of the best parts? My dad, my dad is here this morning. He's been here uh, this whole week, and my dad was a pastor in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. And uh, one of the best parts about being at a church in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, was you want, you want to know what one of the best parts was? Maranatha students came to our church. Okay, as a 13-year-old, 14, 15, 16, 17. I mean, it. I loved it. When Maranatha students came, and it was it was really neat how um, uh, I think every single year we always had college students. Some years might be a little bit lower, some years might be a little bit higher, and uh, you know you know you don't always know exactly the number that's coming. But we loved having college students, and I loved it that oftentimes I mean they would take time. These college students would take time for me as a teenager. Some actually really tried to invest in me spiritually. Uh, that meant a lot. Uh, there was one college student who kind of um, we didn't have a youth pastor for a short short time he kind of played the youth pastor role during a summer and uh, it was just we loved having the college students there so you may not realize it because you're like I'm 19 and I'm not a whole lot well listen if you would look outside of yourself and not expect everyone to serve you you might find that people have no problem letting you invest in their lives 
You want people to invest in you. Isn't it kind of nice when someone who you consider maybe to be kind of important or someone who maybe you think, oh, they, they've got so much, on their, you know, so much on their plate, they don't have time for me. Isn't it neat when they'll stop and talk to you or maybe when, when they'll arrange a time uh, for you to be able to um, go and do something? Like, uh, you know, like yesterday, my wife did the girl talk at, uh, at Miss Marriott's house and um, you know, apparently there were a bunch of you there. Don't you like that she opens up her home and I can just imagine the high level of girl that is going on inside of that house uh, with Miss Marriott leading the way. And just, um, but isn't, don't you love that? Don't you love that she says, you know, like probably something like, come here, come here, come here, everybody, come on in, come on, come on, you know, group hug, I can just imagine that goes on at her house. And um, don't you love it? How many of you like that? She does that. Anyone like that? She does that. Okay, good. Guys, keep your hands down. Okay. You love it? Okay, good. So why don't you do that for someone else? Why are you so special that you won't do it for someone else? That's selfish. That's selfish. You love it when other people serve you. But guys, can I tell you this? If you don't have a church where you are involved, where you can be serving, find a church in this area, somewhere in this area, where you can be serving. So one of the things also with um, college is, uh, is this is a time, especially Bible college, this is a time for you to cut your teeth on ministry and to give ministry a try. Because maybe as a teenager, maybe you had opportunities at your church. They might have been limited, but uh, maybe you didn't have a lot of opportunities. But listen, while you're in college, one of the things you need to be doing is serving in some way. I'll tell you, one of the things about the students that came to our church, there was the occasional exception or two, but um, uh, you know, they, oh my goodness, uh, the, the students who came to our church, they served. They jumped in on children's ministries. They jumped in on, um, on music ministries. They jumped in on teaching, preaching, wherever they could. They jumped in. You should do that too because you never know who you're going to invest in. You just don't know who you're going to invest in. You know, I'll tell you this. I heard when I was in Bible college, I heard plenty of people, it wasn't everybody, but plenty that just said, well, I just want to take um, these years and just you know, sit in, the ch- in a church underneath the teaching of so-and-so and just learn. And I get, I get the motivation for that, but can I tell you something? That is not going to prepare you for ministry. It will not. You know, they'll say to preacher boys, you know what? One of the greatest things that will help you learn to preach is get up and do it. There are some guys that uh, get to the end of Bible college and they haven't preached a single message. Sometimes that happens in, in, in various colleges, and I just think, what? Because I remember freshman year, man, by second semester freshman year, I got involved in a church. It wasn't a big church, small church, small church where I could get involved in ministry. And by second semester, uh, the pastor was having me preach in all kinds of different areas. It was sometimes with this group of ch- kids, this group of kids, this group of kids. Sometimes he was having me with the adults, sometimes with the teenagers. Then there was the Saturday uh, youth group that we would do, and I get involved with that. I get to preach sometimes for that, get to do discipleship with that. And I'll tell you what, I learned what one-on-one discipleship looked like. Some of you, all you do is you theorize about it and you debate about it in your dorm room and you don't ever do it you're not a help okay you need to get out don't theorize about it get out and do it and realize that there are real people with real problems that are going to go beyond what your brain power can handle right now in your debate and theorizing and i'll tell you what though if you have a bible and you learn your bible you can help a lot of people You really can, because there's people looking for people like you who just wish 
you would invest in them. Especially teenagers, children are just wishing that people your age would invest in them. So, um, so for me tonight, I, I guess I bring that up. I'm going to be um, preaching tonight again. Some of you were at, on Sunday, were at Calvary and Watertown. I preached there, and I'm going to be preaching there again uh, tonight. And so I bring that up saying, uh, I think this is really neat how Wednesday night we're starting the pattern right. Uh, you know, we could be having me here preaching to you again, but the right thing I think to do is to get you out and go to local churches. So get in the local church because, you know, you won't be in college all your life unless, you know, maybe you become a Bible faculty member, but, you know, that's, or, or, or you're teaching somewhere else, or, sorry, that wasn't a, wasn't a, yeah, okay. Um, but, um, uh, but uh, you know, that, that's, um, but the point is that very few of you will probably be in college the rest of your life. You know, there's the occasional guy who's like, yeah, I'm going for my fourth PhD and all that. Yeah, um, but, um, uh, but, you know, mo- but, most, but all of you should be involved in a local church the rest of your life. So, might as well practice now. Might as well make your mistakes now, because I did. I did when I was in Bible college. I made some mistakes. And, you know, my pastor would talk me through them. There were a couple that made him really annoyed. But you know what he did was he saw potential and he helped me grow even through mistakes. He gave me opportunities, let me grow through mistakes. And you're at a prime spot in your life where you can grow in that way. So get involved in a local church. Don't just sit on your rear. Uh, don't, just t- don't just sit soaking sour, okay? Stuff that sits and soaks eventually sours, okay? And then becomes a problem, okay? So get out there. You know um, uh, a uh, body of water, you, want, you know why rivers and lakes typically are very beautiful bodies of water? It's because there's water flowing in and there's water somewhere flowing out. Rivers is much more obvious. Lakes, not as much. Uh, and so that's why you can find beautiful lakes and you can find beautiful rivers, but you don't find a whole lot of beautiful swamps. You know why? Because they had intake, but they had no outflow. And then they begin to stink and look creepy. And uh, some of you, are, some of you are like that. You're like a swamp. You stink and you look creepy. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but um, but the idea of the swamp means that you are intake is so much. She's like, I can think of someone right now. That's uh, that's uh, like that. Um, but um, uh, but uh, it's the idea of the swamp is that some of you are intaking so much Bible. You're taking in so much in chapels here at Maranatha and in your classes. And so and so you've got to make sure you've got outflow. It's your um. Letting the truth that's come in flow out onto somebody else, okay? So, uh, so let God use you in, uh, in his church in these coming days, okay? All right, so that was sermon one. Sermon two. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter two, okay? And uh, we're going to be looking at a verse of scripture that I hope will be a help to you. Especially, um, especially can we say, after last night, um, some of you came clean with the Lord about maybe some pretty serious things, some pretty deep things. Um, I hope that some of you got to taste the mercy of God last night. And if you did, I'm, I'm thankful for it, and I'm really, uh, I'm excited for you. And um, so, but uh, one, one thing uh, that I hope will be a help then for you today is that um, I want to talk about then just um, uh, some help with, uh, with godly Christian living. Because one of the things, of course, uh, the Bible uh, prepares us to be ready to die. Uh, and if, and, and can, we, can I just say this too? If you're still here and you still don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen, the Savior's arms have stayed open wide. And the gate is, is still open that Jesus is still calling sinners and, and still wants you to be saved. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, get that settled. And um, he, so that you can be, as, as I like to say, so that you can be ready to die. But you know one of the things also that uh, God prepares us for is he prepares us so that not only are we ready to die, but God wants us to be ready to live. 
Do you know, um, God wants you, can I put it this way? This sounds kind of, kind of you know, modern, so I'm a little nervous of the phrase, but I think you'll get it. In this Christian life, God wants you to thrive. And I'm not talking about becoming wealthy. Now, if you come into wealth, that's not a wrong thing. Good, these, this thing, too, is from the good hand of God. Wealth is as well. Um, but uh, but uh, in your spiritual life, God wants you to thrive. And, you know, we talked about last night, reality is that, um, you know, we talked about what to do when you do sin. And uh, about, the, about, you know, how to don't cover it, but confess it, and, uh, and then renounce it, forsake it. And, um, but the reality is also this. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you, you want to serve God. You have your face pointed in the right direction. You want to do right. You want to serve God. And yet there is a temptation that maybe last night you said, well, I don't need to confess this thing to God necessarily. I mean, uh, because, uh, you, know, it's, you know, right now I'm right before the Lord. But maybe there's a sin struggle that just will not seem to let you go. You know, when I was a counselor at camp, one of the things I would do, one of the first things I'd do on Monday night is I'd, uh, I'd give them a card. And I'd, uh, I'd ask a variety of questions. Some of them were just fun questions. How many brothers and sisters do you, do, uh, do you have? Um, how many? Uh, I always, one thing I did, this is a good idea, counselors. I'd, write, I'd have them say, what's your favorite movie? I'd have them write that down. That'll expose <laughs> a little bit of what's, what they're watching if you just want to know if they're having struggles with that. Write down things like that. And then I began to ask them other spiritual questions. And I'd always ask them, write down the top two struggle, sin struggles, temptations that you have in your life. You know, I want you to think on that this morning. You can write them down if you want to, but I want you to, I want you to set in your mind, grab one and grab two, in your mind, two sin struggles that are, that are in your life way more often than they ought to be. Can you put two? Some of you, it really shouldn't be hard to at least name one. Probably not hard to name two. Um, but so, so grab the two that just seem to really be a struggle in your life. Okay? What are those two? Think on them. Hold them in your mind. And then know this. Do you know that God has truth in his word that says, not only can, when, when you sin, the, uh, you know, you do those sins, of course, God, can, uh, God forgives those and God gives mercy when you ask forgiveness. But you know what's great is that God says, you don't have to commit those sins and that god can give you victory listen every time you're tempted now listen i am not i did not say one day we're going to be sinlessly perfect on this side of eternity i didn't say that don't don't tell people that i did i didn't say that i said that god that can we put it this way the potential is there that god can give you victory over temptation every time you're tempted I remember, I remember um, uh, when I would be a teenager and sometimes as a college student, I'd hear, I'd hear that, I'd hear people say that. And you know what would happen is they would come up and, and they would preach and, I, and I'd be sitting in the back thinking, oh my goodness, tell me, please. You know, well, how can I really have victory over temptation every time I'm tempted? And they would come up here and they'd begin their message. And I was listening, I was hanging on every word. I wanted to know what is wrong with my life. Why am I not seeing this victory over temptation that they tell me about? And they'd talk about how uh, you need to be in your devotions. And they would talk about how you need to memorize verses about your struggle. And they'd talk about accountability partners. And they'd talk about um, how you need to, um, uh, how you need to you know, be faithful in church and how you need to be doing these things. And I sat there in the audience and I'm thinking, I do my devotions, I memorize verses about my sin struggles, I'm faithful in church, and I've gotten an accountability partner. Why do I still struggle? That's where they'd leave it. I thought, I'm doing all that. Why do I still struggle with sin? 
Because, folks, there is a very simple ingredient. It's not hidden. It's not some kind of hidden thing that I found that you've never seen before. But sometimes the devil lies to us and just covers up this precious truth, the, the truth that could be the, that is kind of the tipping point to enable weak people like us to see victory over temptation. It's in Galatians 2.20. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. The Bible, Bible says there, Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now maybe you just heard that verse and said, Matt, where in the world does it say in that verse about how I can get victory over temptation? All right, let me help you with this. Look at the first phrase, Galatians 2.20. It says right there, it says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? All this is going to be building towards how to see victory over temptation. Now, one of the things to realize is that this verse, really, it's written to Christians, people who have already accepted Jesus as their Savior, and a lot of these phrases are reflecting back on what happened to you when you got saved. Guys, one of the things we very quickly forget, one of the things as I preach in churches that adults quickly forget is that when you asked Jesus to be your Savior, whether that was on Monday night, whether that was uh, over Christmas break, whether that was uh, a year ago, 10 years ago, whenever it may have happened, to realize that when you got saved, you got more. You got way more than just a guaranteed home in heaven. You got way more than just having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. God gave you so much more. Well, what did he do? Well, it says that when you got saved, and Paul says, I am, this would be the same testimony that you have, even if you say, I do? Yeah, this is speaking of Christians. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Might be better phrase to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's the idea that being crucified with Christ is an action that took place somewhere in your past. And that past event would be at the moment of salvation. So God says that at the moment of salvation, it says you were crucified. Now, um, the word crucified, obviously, it's a crucifixion is a form of death. It's a form of death. So in other words, God is saying that when you got saved, whenever that day was, God says when you got saved, you died. Okay. <laughs> now, now, I think we could all probably agree that that death is not talking about physical death. You know, I look out here, people who profess to say I've received Jesus as my Savior, and I don't see anyone out here who's physically dead, as far as I know. There's a question mark here or there, you know. But, um, but you know, so it's gotta, it couldn't be physical death. We've got to be talking about some form of spiritual death. So what happened? Well, the word death, one of the things that, uh, that has really helped simplify a lot of uh, the concept of the word death in the New Testament, especially in the realm of our salvation, is the concept that death is the idea of separation. That death is the idea of separation. So it's saying that when you got saved, the Bible says that you were separated from something. You could almost use the word severed or cut off from something. Let me, let me kind of give you a picture to help us kind of wrap our minds around this. Um, so when I was in college, and I'm, and I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm ministering at this church, the pastor's son, uh, actually some, several of the pastor's children, they did some work at a watermelon farm. There was a guy there, I, I actually worked for this guy one day, and um, he was, um, it was kind of, you know, a watermelon farm. Yeah, this guy um, would actually, what he was doing was he was, he knew how to crossbreed and all that, and he was creating new kinds of watermelons, 
and all this stuff. And apparently, you say, well, that doesn't sound very big. Apparently, though, there were people breaking into his farm to steal watermelons, not to eat them, but to try to copy them. Apparently, this guy was a pretty big guy. He looked like a mad scientist is what he really looked like. But um, so that was where they would work for him. They would help with the, um, the cultivating and all that. And um, one of the things, uh, one of the things that happened one day, uh, my friend, his name's Daniel, was out, and uh, one of the things that they would do is also harvest these watermelons. And so it was, uh, it was a, it was a wet day, it was a rainy day, and so he is, um, he's there, and he's, um, he was studying the watermelon with this hand, and he had in this hand a machete. This is going to go great. And uh, so he's, uh, so he's taking the machete, cutting it off from the rinds, or cutting it off from the vines, and you can guess it. He comes down with that machete one time. It slips because of the rain. It kind of comes this way and just clean cuts off the top digit of his finger. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't one of those things where, oh, you know, save the tip. We could, we could probably save the tip. No, that thing was gone. When that knife came down, it severed it, and that, and that bit of his finger was completely gone. It was severed. It was cut off. It was kind of weird. Uh, um, <clears throat> I don't know how many months later it was after he had gotten the bandage off, is there was this little white thing that started growing up through the middle of it. It was kind of like, oh, is that the bone? But it didn't hurt that bad. We went in, according to what he said, now this was a teenager, so take it with like 80 to 100 grains of salt. But he said it was, um, he said it was uh, the doctor said <clears throat> it was the fingernail trying to grow back. I don't know how that's even physically possible, but um, that's what he said. Again, 80 to 100 grains of salt with a teenager's thumb. What a teenager said. But, um, but the idea is this, is that when that knife came down, his finger was severed. It was cut off. It was separated from his body. And folks, it's not coming back. It's not coming back at all. That attachment is never, ever, ever going to come back. And folks, what happened to you? The moment you got saved is that when you died, you were separated. You were severed. You were cut off from something. Romans chapter 6, verse number 4 says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That is, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the Bible says we have been buried with him, with Jesus. In other words, there was a, in this spiritual transaction that happened when you got saved, there was a death, a separation that you went through. Well, you say, well, Matt, what was I separated from? Verse 7 says, uh, this is Romans 6, 7. By the way, if you want a little extra help, you can keep a finger in Romans 6. We're going to look at several verses there. Romans chapter 6, verse number 7 says, for he that is dead, ooh, Oh, ooh, that's us, that's us. He that is dead, he says, is freed from sin. Do you know what happened when you got saved? You got separated from sin. Now, exactly what? Well, I think verse 14 helps us understand that. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. The word dominion there is, uh, has, has kind of the idea of authority. In other words, before you got saved, you had an authority. And that authority was not Satan, it was sin. Sin was your master. Sin was your authority. And sin commanded everything that you did. I mean, sin even ruined your motives. Everything about us before we were saved in total depravity was nothing. Everything was motivated and done and just wickedly done through, uh, through underneath the authority of the sin nature that we had before we got saved. And, uh, and, and, but you know what happened when you got saved? That old authority, that dominion of sin, that authority that sin had over you was cut off. 
And you, Christian, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are no longer under sin's authority. That is not something that will be. That is not something that you are progressing towards. That is something that happened the moment you got saved, whether you felt it or not. And that's exciting. You know, it's kind of the, um, so, so maybe catch this picture. How many of you have ever um, worked a job where you had a boss that you didn't like? you ever did just raise your hand just be honest yes of course a lot of you did put it down i did too i had one short job that i didn't i didn't really appreciate my bosses that i worked for yeah all right so um so um you remember back in that boss i don't know maybe it was different for you but let's just kind of imagine that uh, let's say you have a boss that you really don't appreciate you know he gives you bad hours uh he doesn't compliment you um he gives you a low wages anyway and you really don't know if he's ever going to really uh give you a pay raise and and uh, maybe maybe he even calls you at two o'clock in the morning and says hey where are you I need you in here on the job right now. Get up, get dressed, and get in here on the job. You know, so let's just pretend. Let's pretend that that's the kind of uh, boss that you have. And eventually, finally, you get tired of, of these low wages. You get tired of, the, of being mistreated, and you get tired of being called at 2 o'clock in the morning. You get tired of, of this guy's attitude, and finally, you just, you just call him and say, you know what, sir? I quit. No two weeks notice. I quit. And so you hang up the phone, and that's that. So you, um, so you immediately, because you're a good person, you immediately go and start looking for another job. And uh, you, so you find one. You do a little bit of uh, searching, and you find yourself a good job. And boy, this boss is totally different. This boss, my goodness, he gives you uh, good wages. He's giving you good pay. He says 90 days, we'll do an evaluation. And then if you're doing well, we'll give you a, a, a pay upgrade. And, uh, you know, he says all these things. And it gives you better hours, and he doesn't call you in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and things are going good. So let's say it's, it's getting close to that 90 days. You're about to go in for your, um, your eval, and you're about to go in and hopefully get a raise. And 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings, and it's your old boss. And he says, listen, I had someone call out. I need you in here on the job right now. You know, you would have to be a special level of stupid <laughs> to get up, put on the old uniform, and go work for that guy. What you should do is hang up, put it on airplane mode, and then just contact the police the next day and say, I need an order of protection, you know, or something like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just joking with that. I don't know. But, um, but the idea there is how foolish will we have to be to work for a boss that we no longer work for? And you know what is so sad is that here's you and me, Christians, is that when you got saved, you were delivered from being under the dominion and the authority of sin, and, 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 which is why it makes it so foolish for us to go back and serve sin because you are no longer under sin's authority. And did you know what's also great is that on top of that look at galatians 2 20 it says i'm i've been crucified with christ and it says but nevertheless i live so it's not just that you got severed and separated and cut off from that old authority of sin but you have been united with a new master is that you've been given a new authority and that there's a new authority in your life and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is now, you have come into union with this Jesus Christ. And it says in what way? Well, it says in Galatians 2.20, nevertheless, I live. It says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Do you know that right now? It's not something that's gonna happen in the future. It's not something that you'll eventually get towards. If you know Jesus as your savior, the moment you got saved, the Bible says that Christ now lives inside of you. The Bible says, let me read it to you so I get it right. Colossians chapter one, verse number 27. 
Verse number 27 says, um, uh, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That Jesus now lives inside of you. And I love how if you're keeping a finger in Romans 6, it says about this, uh, this relationship you have with Jesus now. It says in Romans 6 verse 5, it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, that separation, he says we shall also be, the idea of planted together, in the likeness of his resurrection. And people, if I can hopefully not oversimplify it, but this word, uh, this uh, phrase, planted together, we've been planted together in his death, we've been planted together in his resurrection it's the idea of being plugged into it's the idea that you were unplugged from uh, from the from the dominion of of sin and you were plugged into a new power source by the way a power source that can enable weak people like us to do things we could never do before that's jesus you know it's almost like i want you to imagine this now not too many people have an electric chainsaw. Most have some kind of a mixture, you know, and, uh, and you know, vroom, vroom. but you might be, maybe, you're, maybe your dad has an electric chainsaw. I want you to just uh, imagine this with me. Uh, imagine that you've got an electric chainsaw. You've got a tree out back that you want to come down. And so you come out to that tree. You've got your chainsaw, and uh, you, are going, you come up to that tree, and you don't plug the chainsaw in. People, how far are you going to get? Not very far. Now, you might go up to the tree. You might bang it against the tree. You might rub it along the tree. And you might say, people, guess what? There's a chunk of bark that I got off the tree. But everyone knows that's nothing. But you know what happens is that when you finally plug that chainsaw into the wall, your chainsaw becomes connected in a moment of time, becomes connected to a power source that can enable that chainsaw to do something it could never do on its own. And that power source enables that chainsaw, and and the power source commands that that tree has to come down. And folks, that's what happened when you got saved. That when you got saved and got severed, separated, cut off from that old authority of sin, you've come into union. You've been plugged into Jesus Christ himself. And I'm going to tell you what, the Bible says that Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Which means Jesus has the power, has the strength, the innate, inherent strength within himself to overcome every one of your temptations. And he says, you're plugged in to me whoa that is a lot of hope for weak people like us that you know strength and power to overcome sin is not somewhere deep inside of you it's deep inside of jesus christ and thank goodness that when you got saved you got plugged into him but then what does it say you might say well man if this is all true, if this all happened when I got saved, then why in the world do I still struggle with sin? Look at verse 20 again. It says, um, uh, Christ liveth in me. It says, but the life which I now live in the flesh. See, the problem is, why don't we just all of a sudden become sinlessly perfect? Why don't we just all of a sudden never struggle ever again? Because we still have flesh. And our flesh still desires wrong. And until heaven, we will not be delivered from the flesh side. So that flesh side is always there trying to pull us in to do what God says is wrong. That flesh tries to pull us back to, be, to, to respond and obey the dominion and the authority of sin that was broken at salvation. And it's because we live in the flesh still that we really, can we put it this way? We believe Satan's lies. Because you know what Satan loves to do? And this is a lie. 
he puts out to us is he says, he, he'll come to you even after just hearing this wonderful truth about, um, about, being, about uh, the authority of sin being broken and about being united with Jesus Christ and having access now to his power. He'll come and say, you know, yeah, I get it. You know, that's all really nice, but um, <laughs> you're never going to win over sin. And then he'll say this, look at your past. You never won before. What makes you think today's different? Nothing magical happened today. What makes you think life's going to be different? And the devil loves to give a lie. And oftentimes we get confused between what is reality and what is an illusion. You know, kind of, um, you know, if you ever go on, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different rides and such that are out there that, that uh, or um, uh, places that love to give you illusions, make you think this, when reality is this. Maybe they make you dizzy. Maybe they make you sick to your stomach, when reality is you might be just standing still. I remember, um, you know, at our church, my, my church is in um, Dothan, Alabama, and this, that's where my home church is. We have a guy in our church, he just retired um, last, last month. Uh, retired last month, he spent um, 40 years serving in the United States Army, but he was a chopper pilot. He was an Apache pilot, and uh, so he's, you know, our church has, it's not very big, it's about 50 people, but we have a lot of really cool veterans in our church. I mean, we had, we had a, um, we had a couple in our church, they lived, both of them lived into their 90s, they met in World War II. He was, a, he was in the Navy, and she was a wave. I mean, that's, that's kind of cool right there, and um, uh, we had a, we had a guy in our, we had a guy in our church, he died in his 90s as well. He he was, with, um, he was with MacArthur when MacArthur came back on the beaches of the Philippines. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. He came with MacArthur. We had guys who served in Vietnam. Uh, guys who served in Vietnam did some hard things over in the, the war in Vietnam. Uh, we, had, um, uh, we, and, uh, we had others. We, and this guy, so this guy in our church, he was an Apache helicopter pilot, and he fought, he fought in the Persian Gulf War. You know, I remember once asking him about, well, what'd you do? You know, you're a pilot. What'd you do over there? Well, we, you know, fought Saddam's army. That's all you're going to say, really? We fought, I remember once in Sunday school, he's like, yeah, we, there was this one time we were over there, and we came upon a, this tank battalion, and we engaged them. And That's all you're going to say? We engaged them? Yeah, that's the kind of guys we have at our church. This was the guy who was the youth director before I was, okay? You want to talk about a cool youth director? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, preach to teens during the day and fly choppers at night, teaching guys how to fight and fly Apache helicopters. That's a cool youth pastor. You with your basketball school, basketball skills, that's not as cool as being able to fight and fly in an Apache helicopter. So this guy, he lets me, um, uh, he lets me come, and one of the things that the Army has is a simulator. Because I figure it'd be better if you uh, practice in a computer simulated thing instead of wrecking one of the million dollar, you know, um, uh, chopper, you know, helicopters. And so, and so he, he actually, I was able to go three, I don't know if it was like four or five times in my life, I've been able to go on the U.S. Army simulator. You people who are gamers, I'm just going to tell you what, this is like the biggest, bestest video game that you can get into. Oh, yeah. Your games compare nothing to the U.S. Army simulators for the Apaches. And uh, so we got to, um, I got to sit in this thing. And uh, so we, you know, I got to do flying and I got to do, um, oh, we tried the, you know, tried out, you know, he put the screens. It was all it was, was you would get, it was inside an air-conditioned building. You would get into the seat. It was exactly like a helicopter right around you of uh, like all the buttons and all that. And uh, you would get in there and uh, they had screens all the way around you. And I mean, you had the, um, you had your uh, power over here on the left. You had your um, cyclic in the middle, and uh, and you got to fly. And I'm just going to tell you what he said at the couple points. He said, "Wow, you're not doing too bad flying through there." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, I 
I've played a video game. I, I, I've done video. It actually helped me. It really did. It was very natural. I, using the pedals, turning it, and then the power. And pe- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The video game helped. And so, um, and so uh, we're doing this thing, and so we're trying shots of different things. I'm, like, driving. I'm flying through stuff. He changed the weather on me, like, in two seconds. Like, oh, here's a storm. What do you think about that, you know? And, uh, his, and so I'd be flying through that. And so, that, you know, that was cool. And um, so, we're, so we're doing this whole thing. And then he says, ooh, would you like to try a barrel roll? You say, what's that? That's where you go like this. <laughs> Helicopter? Okay. So I'll do, a, I'll do a barrel roll. And so he said, well, okay. So you just um, you turn it, give it power, and hit the pedal. And, 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 it'll, and, yeah. and, so, and it'll go. And so I turn it. Now what happens? The old helicopter simulators, they were hydraulic, which meant if you did a barrel roll, the actual thing that you were sitting in would actually flip all the way around and spin around. All right, but now, because we're, you know, things are updated, they had computer screens, which meant this. When you would turn, maybe if you wanted to turn to the left, um, there was, a, and you turned to the left, and so the chopper's going left, there was actually this little, there were these airbags underneath your seat, one on this side, one on this side, underneath your rear, and when you would turn this way, this one would inflate, and so you tip that way, and when you turn it back, it would deflate, and then if you went that way, that one would inflate, and that's all that was really happening, and so I did this barrel roll. And so, you know, the thing inflates, and I turn, and so I turn, and the whole screen goes like this, and goes round, and when we finally, and when it was coming around, I kind of, duh, I kind of did that to kind of get it level, and the whole screen kind of went, duh, and I remember my stomach going, <laughs> and um, I remember thinking, my stomach literally just, you know, I can handle a lot of, a lot of stuff, heights and stuff, I like those, you know, I'm okay with those kinds of things, and, and uh, you know, just, the, you know, these kinds of experiences, I love those, and I remember my stomach really just went, and you know what all I did was? Remember the last time that you went like this and went, oh, you know, that, that doesn't happen, why? Because the U.S. Army had successfully put an illusion in front of my face, and had successfully <laughs> lied to me and made me think that I'm going around, around, and my stomach's like, hey, you know what we're doing right now, right? You know, and, um, and, uh, the, it, and I believed the illusion. Reality was, all I did was I just tipped it this way. But the illusion was, oh, we're going around, and we're going around. And, uh, and that is exactly what the devil does to us, is you know what reality is? Reality is, you don't have to serve sin. You're not under this dominion. And the reality is that you are plugged into a power source named Jesus Christ who can enable weak stuff like us to overcome our sinful temptations. But the devil lies and said, oh, you're still in your flesh. There ain't no way you're getting any victory until you see heaven. And he keeps you right there. Folks, that is, that is a lie. It is an illusion. You have access to an incredible power source. So I want you to see this here as, we, as the final thing. You might say, all right, Matt, well, that's, that's really great. But um, so how do I, can we put it this way? How do I access that power? If that power is at my disposal, how do I, like, make it happen? Well, the Bible says, Galatians 2.20, the life which I now live in the flesh, he says, I live by the, what's the next word? Faith. He says you, you access this life you live in the flesh now, he says you'd live it by faith. Now maybe that you say, well, that, Matt, that doesn't help me very much. What's that supposed to mean? Well, I like this. Um, maybe these couple, couple side references will help you. Colossians 2.6 says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. You ever done that? Anyone ever received Christ Jesus the Lord as your Savior? Raise your hand if you've done that before. Anyone done? Okay, good, good, you're good. Yeah. As, uh, as you re- therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, verse 6 says, so walk ye in him. 
Well, so he says, the same way you got saved is the same way you now live the Christian life. Well, how'd you get saved? You got saved by faith. You know the word faith? It's really a simple word. It means to trust or to depend. You know, when you got saved, what'd you do? You put your trust, you put your full dependence on Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins, didn't you? Did you? Did you put your full dependence on Christ alone? Did you do some works? Did you do some work? No. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, no. So, you, uh, so when you got saved, you put your 100% dependence on Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins. You didn't put your trust on. You didn't say, well, you know, uh, I'm going to, you know, Jesus is going to do a lot for me. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do the best I can to get to heaven. And then I'll just let Jesus kind of kick in what I can't do. You know, if you heard someone say that, you would say, oh, dear, sir, you are not going to heaven. The Bible says in the same way you got saved, it's the same way now you live your Christian life. It's by faith. It's by trust and dependence. Why is it that when it comes to our salvation, we will say, you know, it's, uh, oh, it's 100% dependence on Jesus Christ alone. Then why is it that when it comes to our sanctification, we say, well, I just got to do the best that I can, and whatever I can't do, Jesus will just kind of kick in the rest of what I can't do. You know what that honestly sounds like to me is sanctification by works instead of sanctification by faith. And honestly, can I tell you something, young people? That may be the exact reason why you have struggled for so long with the same temptation over and over and over because you have been depending on you for the power to overcome sin. You need Jesus' power. Guess what your power is going to accomplish? Nothing. Your power accomplishes nothing, but Jesus' power is all the power that we could possibly need. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, remember this, so that we may find grace and find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. In other words, the idea is this, is that when temptation comes, here's what it's going to look like for you. you want to, this is like the key if you want to catch this here at the end, is that if you, when you are faced with a temptation, when that lust comes up again, when that anger comes up again, when that, lie, that temptation to lie comes up again, when the temptation to criticize comes up again, when all those things come up again, what happens? Normally what we would do is we'd say, all right, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I can't sin. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to think it. I'm not going to, not going to, not going to, not going to do it. You know what that is? Self-dependence. You know what that accomplishes? A whole mess of nothing. Some of you have been living your life for many years that way of just, okay, I'm not going to do it. I will do what I want to do. I remember a preacher once saying, okay, teenagers, repeat after me. I will do what I want to do. And I remember as a teenager sitting there in the audience, I think I may have done it because he asked us to, but I remember thinking, I want to please God, and I'm not doing it. I remember thinking, this is, this is like almost like self-help. This is almost like flesh power. This is, there's something wrong with this. I knew this don't work. I've been trying this. You ever, you ever said that? Well, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to do what I ought to do. I'm trying to give up temptation. I'm trying. You want to know what's wrong? You're trying. When God says, you could have my strength if you would ask for it. How often in temptation do you ask God, God, I need your power because here she comes. And you know I want to get angry. God, I need your power because if you don't help me, I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to act in the wrong way. God, I need your strength. You know, it's a simple verse. I understand there's some context around it, but the principle of Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, that is a powerful statement. Hey, you want to learn, um, we do this real quick, you want to learn some false doctrine, is that okay? 
Some of you are like, I'm paying attention now. Well, what are you going to say? Well, learn some false doctrine. Here's some false doctrine. Okay? I can do all things. There's your false doctrine for the day. Listen, it is not a good thing. If, you get, if you've gotten one of those um, you know, Christian calendars that has on it, that has like some jogger out there, that, uh, you know, some jogger out there in the sunset, and it says, I can do all things, period. Just write on it false doctrine, put it back in the envelope, and send it back. Because you don't need false teaching in your home. Because you can't do all things. You've been trying, and it has failed. But listen, you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. Why don't we ask for Christ's strength? Why is it that we think, i got to do it myself, i got to do it myself? You didn't do that with your salvation. You didn't say, God, I'll do it myself, I'll do it myself. No, you surrendered and said, I can't do it. God, you got to save me or I'm lost. And folks, it's going to have to be that way with your sanctification is, God, you got to enable me or I'm going to fall. You know, people say, oh, well, he's just man, he just falls sometimes, rises again. I understand that. But listen, I'll just say this. If you don't learn, you know, when, if you're in a boxing match, you ever seen boxing? You know, guy gets knocked down, he's supposed to get back up, right? But if you get knocked down enough times in boxing, eventually you won't get back up. So we need help so that we don't get knocked down. You know what the coaching comes in is how to not get knocked down. They don't just say, well, you get knocked down, just get up. That's all you got to do is just, you just got to get up. Oh, listen, we need more than that. We need God's power to enable us. Christ can enable you to have victory as often as Jesus can get victory. And he can have victory over every sin. And he says, my strength is accessible to you. If you'll ask for it, God says, I'll give you power. Let me close with this story. A uh, guy in, uh, at college, he was, uh, I was a dorm counselor. He was um, 19 years old, and he said, <clears throat> he said to me, uh, he said, uh, he was coming to me. He had some, some serious lust problems, really wanted to get victory over them. Comes to me. Actually, what we did was we talked through this verse, Galatians 2.20, some of Romans 6, and I talked him through the exact same truth. And, uh, you know, I said, listen, you know, Philippians 4.13, you know, God will give you strength. Ask him for his strength. Oh, okay. So he goes out. A couple, days, a couple days later, I catch up with him, and I, and I said, hey, how's it going with keeping your thoughts where they ought to be? This is what he said, right? He said, oh, you know that verse you told me that um, uh, I could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me? He said, yeah. Uh, he said, yeah, I, I, every time that, that, the, that the lustful thought comes to my mind, I've just been asking for Christ's strength, and then it goes away. People, that is not natural. That is supernatural. This guy had never seen victory before in his life. But when he started asking Jesus for power, all of a sudden, everything started looking a lot different. You ought to do the same. Start asking God for his strength and watch what he can do with weak stuff like you and me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the power of the, the gospel to the saint and just the, um, the hope that comes with uh, sanctification that you are our enabler. Our, our enabler. Thank you so much for that. I pray that you'd bless these young people. Lord, take this truth, plant it deep in us. Help us to understand and obey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.